This morning we are beginning a new and rather big, code long, sermon series on the New Testament book of Romans. And while we refer to books of the Bibles, Romans is actually a letter, like many of the other New Testament books. In fact, Romans is one of 13 letters written by the Apostle Paul. And it was written to Christians in the city of Rome, hence the name Romans. Now, this letter Romans is unique for two related reasons. First, this is the only one of Paul's letters in the Bible that he wrote to a church that he didn't have a hand in starting. All the other letters to the churches in Corinth or Galatia or Ephesus, those letters, he helped start those churches. But at the time that Paul wrote this letter, he had never even been to Rome. He had met some of the people from Rome as they also traveled around the Roman Empire and their paths crossed in different locations. But Paul had never been there. So it's different from those other letters. That leads to the second unique feature. It is not only the longest of Paul's letters, but the bulk of the letter, chapters 1 through essentially 14, deals with a sustained explanation of the message of the gospel and its implications. That most of Paul's other letters deal with stuff going on in the churches that he's writing to. Problems that they were having, questions they were asking. But Paul hadn't been there. He didn't know their situation firsthand all that well. And so when Paul writes this letter to the Romans, he is essentially introducing himself and his Christian message to people he has not personally met before. And so that's why we have this long extended, hey, here's what I believe. I hope you believe this too, because that's what we're all supposed to believe. And so it's fitting that at the beginning of this letter introducing Paul, Paul introduces himself. And what he is all about. And so that's what we find today in the opening verses of Romans. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 of chapter 1. I would invite you to open your Bibles or to look at the text printed in the bulletin. We are in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, as we hear the Word of God this morning. Romans 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. 
Lord, we do thank you that when your word is read, you are speaking, that you still speak today through your word. And I thank you, O God, that by your Holy Spirit, you work through your word and you even work through humble, sinful people like me to try to faithfully proclaim your word. And so, God, give us ears to hear today. I pray that you would use me in spite of my sin and weakness to faithfully proclaim your word and apply it to us. And that you would work by your spirit through the power of your living and inspired word. And that you would work in us, accomplishing your purposes. And so give us ears to hear, O God, this day. We pray that you would open our hearts and minds, that we would receive your word, that we would believe it and trust it. And that you would work in us by your grace and spirit to so apply it and shape us by your word. That we would live as your children. And for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Beginning the book of Romans, I'd like you to see here that we have a very introductory section. That Paul begins with an introduction. That in the ancient world, when you were writing letters to people, you did not sign your name at the end of the letter. You sign your name at the beginning of the letter. And so Paul starts the letter by saying, Paul. He identifies himself. He put his name on his paper. Teachers, be proud. Paul identifies himself here. And so he's trying to introduce who he is. I am Paul. You've probably heard of me, but here is what I am about. And I don't know about you, but it can be really awkward to have to introduce yourself to a group of people you don't know. Maybe you've been in that situation, an unfamiliar place with a bunch of new people, and someone says to you, hey, would you stand up and tell us about yourself? You know. Some of you are probably like, ah, no, anything but that, please. I would not like to do that. And some of us, we might be okay talking. We're like, what do you want me to say? What, What do you want me to say about myself? We probably just state a bunch of basic information. Hi, my name is, and here's where I'm from, and I'm this age or grade, maybe. And what do I do for a living? Am I married? Do I have kids? And maybe even worse, they're like, tell us a fun fact about yourself. Oh, like, really? Like, what's a fun fact about me? I hate doing this. Like, that might be your fun fact. And so maybe we don't like introducing ourselves because we don't like speaking in public and it makes us really embarrassed. Maybe we don't like introducing ourselves because we don't really want to talk about what's going on in our lives. Maybe we're not proud of our job. Maybe our job is just really hard to explain and it makes us feel dumb every time we have to try to tell someone what it is we do. Or maybe we don't want to tell people about our family because things aren't really good in our family right now. And I don't know you well enough to talk about it at this time. Maybe we just think we're super boring and nobody should care about us anyway. And so introductions cannot be fun. But they can also get us thinking questions that further make us uncomfortable. Who am I? What would I say about myself? What makes me tick? What drives me? How should I introduce myself? And we start thinking of questions like, what am I living for? What is my purpose in life? Why do I get up each day? And then before you know it, we're in bed, it's dark, we're sad. It's a rough time. See, sure, we might have a job, we might have a family, but what drives us each day? And if we're honest with ourselves, some of those answers 
are kind of lame. Maybe we realize that, you know what we've been living for? is just the weekend. Every day of our lives, we're just living for the weekend for those few hours of relaxation when work is over, and that's just my focus, is I get through the rest of the day in order to have that moment I enjoy. Or maybe we have longer focus. I'm just living with eyes fixed on retirement. If I can just retire, everything will be fine. So every day, it's just one day closer to retirement, one day closer. Maybe we just love our work, but then we're like, why do I love my work? Maybe we're consumed with parenting, and that's our primary task. And then we start to feel like, I'm just an uber-driving cook that does laundry. Is that really what drives me? Or maybe in our modern age, all we care about is, when is the next time I can look down at my device and watch a video or scroll through stuff to entertain me for a few fleeting seconds? And if we're honest with ourselves we might have to introduce ourselves like that. That's actually kind of what I'm about. Those fleeting moments. I'm all about my work. I'm all about getting a bigger bank account. I'm all about these personal passions of mine. And that might be why introducing ourselves makes us feel so awkward. Paul, though, no problem. Paul's got this down. He's done it before, I would guess. He has a very clear sense of who he is and what his purpose is on earth. Paul, in verse 1, gives us three descriptors of himself. Kind of, here's who I am. Paul's business card, here we go. It's verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And so we see these three descriptions. He is a servant, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel. So we learn first that Paul is a man under authority. He sees himself as a servant. The the word there for servant can even mean slave. That he is bound to obey his master, his Lord, Jesus. That he sees himself fundamentally as not his own man, but a man who is under someone else's authority. He sees himself as a servant. And as a servant, he has been given a job by his king, by his master. It is a position of delegated authority that he has been called an apostle. That word apostle sounds very churchy and historical, but apostle means one who is sent. And so this is not a job that Paul applied for. It is not a job that Paul earned. Jesus called him, selected him, and said, you will be one of my apostles whom I am sending into the world. And that's what we read about in our New Testament reading from Galatians 1, about how Paul had been fighting against the church until Jesus showed up. It was like, you know what? You're joining my team now. You're going where I tell you to go. I've got a job for you to do. And so what was that job? Well, he had been set apart for the gospel of God. He had been set apart to proclaim good news. That is what gospel means. It means good news. He is a bearer of good news from God about God. And so in that sense, Paul is this authoritative messenger who shares God's good news. That is his purpose in life. That is Paul's calling. That everything in his life comes down to that purpose. That's what we mean by calling. A calling 
is some task or occupation that we have been appointed to do. And Paul sees this task as the very center of who he is. That Paul's calling has everything to do with the gospel. So if Paul is all about the gospel, then what is the gospel all about? Well, Paul explains this good news in the following verses by looking at the gospel's legacy, the gospel's power, and the gospel's purpose. Legacy, power, and purpose. So first, Paul describes the legacy of the gospel in verses 2 and 3. Even though this stuff about Jesus seems new, Paul didn't invent it. It didn't come out of thin air or his imagination. It was not something entirely new. We are told that it was something promised beforehand in the Old Testament Scriptures. That's what Paul says in verse 2. This gospel which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. See, the church in Rome was made up of mostly non-Jewish people. That's what the Bible calls Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And there would be an understandable temptation to take the Old Testament and go, that was for the Jews. And we don't need that anymore. We're Jesus people. So just give me the only Jesus stuff. But Paul's like, no, I know the Bible's a lot heavier. I'm sorry, but this is still God's word. They are still holy scriptures because all of the Old Testament points us forward to Jesus. And it tells us very important things that God has truth in there for us. And so the Old Testament is to be kept. It tells us that this promised one would come from the line of King David, that he would be the savior of God's people. And so Paul is here saying, I'm not teaching some new religion. I am teaching a fulfilled religion, a fulfilled Judaism. I am not an inventor of something new. I am part of something very old that has now come into this new, fulfilled phase in Jesus. And so he explains this legacy of the gospel. It's connected to the Old Testament. And second, Paul writes about the power. So legacy and then power in verse 4. He says, He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by by His resurrection of the dead. So he's telling us here that Jesus is not important because Jesus is a wise teacher. He's a wise teacher. That's not why he's important. Jesus is not important because he's a really good example of how to live your life. He is that. That's not why he's important. Other people can do that. There's a bunch of wise people around. There's a bunch of people you can model your life after. Jesus was different in a more important way. What separated Jesus from all the other religious figures is that Jesus rose from the dead. And this is not like in the TV show where someone shows up and is doing CPR and of course they make it back because everyone in TV makes it back when you do CPR and like they come back like and he returns to his old life. No. He rose in a new and better glorified body on the third day. That Jesus rose from the dead. And in his resurrection, Jesus proved that he was truly the Son of God. I am different. There is something different and powerful about me. It made his own disciples look back at the cross, at the horrific death that Jesus died, and think, well, I mean, if he's that powerful, like, what's he doing back there? It must not have just been a tragedy, an accident, a speed bump. 
there was something purposeful and, and intentional, that it was a sacrifice to atone for the sins of God's people. And so Paul is grounding his message not in, here's how you be good, here's how you live your life. His message is grounded in Jesus and his power that he showed rising from the dead. That also means the gospel is grounded in history, in a moment that happened, an event that Jesus rose from the dead on this particular day in this particular place. And so he, he describes what he's all about. I'm all about the gospel. Here's its legacy, here's its power, and now here's its purpose in verses 5 and 6. See, Caesar, Caesar, big guy in the Roman Empire, you might have heard of him. Jesus liked to think that he was, or Caesar liked to think he was Lord of all the earth. But Jesus showed that he was the true Lord of heaven and earth. And as the Lord over everyone, Jesus gave grace and apostleship to his servants so that they would go and share the good news about his resurrection and lordship to all people. And the purpose of sharing that message was not so people could go, whoa, cool story, bro. And then just go keep on living. That was not the purpose. The purpose was to bring about faith and obedience. Belief in Jesus as King and obedience to Jesus, our King. That's what Paul's gospel purpose is. He says this is to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. See, faith and obedience are meant to go together, that we trust Jesus by obeying his commands. And the motivation for true obedience is not, man, I hope God gives me something for all this dumb stuff he's making me do. No. The motivation for true obedience is trusting that Jesus is king and he knows best and he's done so much for me, I'd love to do something for him. We saw in our Old Testament reading that obedience and, and faith are meant to go hand in hand. And Paul sees that his purpose is to announce this good news to people so that they will then believe in Jesus and obey Jesus. And that's because Paul is a man all about the gospel. And the gospel is all about Jesus. And responding to the gospel is all about responding to Jesus. It is not about rules to follow. It is not about feelings you feel. It's not primarily even about you and what you get out of it. The gospel is about Jesus. And the legacy of the gospel is found in the scriptures that promise this guy is coming to fix our broken world. And it came in power as Jesus did his miracles and taught with authority, but ultimately rose from the dead. And we see he continues to reign as Lord and calls all nations to bow down to him as king. And all nations includes the city of Rome. So even though Paul had never been to the city of Rome, Paul knows the Roman Christians are part of the people that he has been called to go talk to. And he knows that some people in that city of Rome have already believed in Jesus. And so he wants to write them, to address them, recognizing we've got something in common here. I'm really excited to meet you. 
And so he writes in verse 7, he addresses them finally. Again, they do letters backwards. We do to you, from me. They do it the opposite way. From me, to you. And so the to you is in verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints. So Paul began his letter by introducing himself. Here is my calling as an apostle. And then he finishes his introduction by saying, here is your calling to live as beloved saints of God. And that's the calling for all who hear the gospel. That we are part of all nations as well. And we are called to be saints. And that word called is very important. Note that Paul does not say, I have been sent to command you, be a saint. No, we are called to be saints. He doesn't give us instructions on, all right, here are 20 rules to follow to be a saint. No, we would do terrible at that. We would be really bad. That's not good news. Good news is we have been called to be saints. The gospel message is that we don't have to be saints in our own power, but we are called to be those saints. So how does he call us? I mean, it doesn't show up on your phone like God's here. You've been called to be a saint. No. How does he call us? Well, when God calls us, he does not call us like we are an NFL draft pick. I don't know about you, but Steelers training camp has started. It's exciting. Football's coming. I know. It's very fun. But God does not call us like an NFL draft pick because those men have practiced football for years. Countless hours of their lives have been devoted to football, working in the weight room, the film room, out on the practice field. And they work incredibly hard, hoping that someone will see them and their skills and say, you are worthy. You would be a valuable addition to our team. I can use you. And they're rewarded for all of their work and effort. That is not how God calls us to be saints. Instead, God calls us like a dog lover visiting an animal shelter. That he shows up at the animal shelter and he sees all these unwanted dogs. Stinky, fleas. They're not the best behaved dogs. They're certainly not the cutest dogs. They're not, they're not even puppies. They're just dogs. Okay. In fact, I want you to picture pugs. Like pugs. Like, who can look at all the breeds of dogs and be like, that's the one. That's the one I want. A pug. I'm sorry if you're a pug owner. I'm sorry. Had to pick on somebody. But, like, some people do. Some people go looking for a dog and are like, I want the pug. God is like that when he chooses and calls us. God calls little pugs like us, not because we are lovely, but because he is full of love. It isn't anything precious or cute in us. It is because he overflows with compassion for sinners like us. And he calls us. And he invites us home. And he wants us to live with him, to be his, to be saints now, the word saint in our culture usually means someone who's a kind of moral hero. 
someone who is truly good and especially kind to others. But in the Bible, the word saint simply means one who is set apart, someone who is different and holy. And so to be a saint means that we are set apart by God to live for God in a way that is different from the world. That we are called to do something different for God. And we live differently from the world by trusting in Jesus our King and obeying God's commands in Scripture. And this calling as a saint drives everything we do. It is meant to be our fundamental identity and calling, more so than any other calling we have, that we have been chosen. The Bible even uses the language of adoption, to go back to our our pug puppies there. Adopted, we've been called, and we are His dearly loved children, called to live differently. And that means our identity as those called to be saints shapes every other calling we have in life. Because we do have other callings in life. See, Paul was uniquely called to be an apostle. So he wasn't just called to be a saint. He was also called to be an apostle, to proclaim the good news. But plenty of the people Paul shared the good news with were not going to be apostles. They weren't even going to be pastors or teachers. They were going to be saints. And so they would be called to live as saints. Saints who farmed. Saints who served as soldiers in the army. Saints who raised children. Saints who worked in a trade. Saints who went to school. Saints who cared for the sick. And in each of those callings, God's people were called to live as saints. As those people who stood out from the world, because even in all those things they did, they did so while trusting in Jesus and obeying God's commands. And the same is true for us today. See, we may not have gospel proclamation as our primary task, or we might. But being a saint is a more fundamental part of our calling. See, our primary task can be all sorts of things. Maybe your primary task is parenting or caring for an aging parent. Maybe it's assembling machinery. Maybe it's repairing roads, fixing cars. Maybe it's being an electrician. Maybe it's being a nurse. In each of these callings, we have those things to do, but deeper, more fundamental than those jobs is that we are God's dearly loved, set-apart people who are following Jesus, our King. That's something that can drive us. Because if we only live to repair roads, if we only live to care for an aging parent. If we only live to serve as a nurse, we can find that lacking. It may fulfill us for a time, but it won't fulfill us for all time. This calling as a saint is to be our deep fundamental identity, for that is how God has made us. And as we live in our callings, we can share that good news with others. So as we look at Romans today, I'd like you to to think about How would you introduce yourself to someone? You would probably say your name, because that's just polite. Where you live, something about your family. If you have a job, something about that. What else could we say about ourselves? 
perhaps something like, well, I'm a Christian. And I've been called by God to live for Him in all I do. I didn't deserve that because I'm a sinner, but God in His amazing love forgave me in Christ. And He calls me to be His beloved child. And so every day I strive to obey Him, knowing He has blessed me so wonderfully and He's promised me eternal life. And yeah, that's kind of what I'm all about. It sounds like a pretty good introduction. Can you say that about yourself? Have you heard the good news? Have you heard God's calling in your life through the Word of God to confess your sins and trust in Jesus? Maybe you've been looking around for purpose and meaning. Maybe you just have never thought about it. Maybe you have a deep sense of dissatisfaction as you've gone after worldly pursuits. Maybe you've just been left empty, like there's got to be more to life than what I'm living. If you've felt that way, come to Jesus the Lord of heaven and earth, and believe that there is good news that you too can live each day as a dearly loved child of God. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who still calls people to himself today. And Lord, you don't do it by some giant booming voice in the sky. You don't usually do it by clouds shaping into different words for us to read or other mystical signs. God, you ordinarily work through your word, through the sharing of your word, whether it be like a pastor like me preaching or whether it be a family member or friend or neighbor sharing that word with others. You work through your word. And so I pray, God, that in this word today and in our words throughout the week, that you would call people to yourself. That you'd help us to see our need of Jesus. The joy of living as dearly loved saints. That you would help us to be driven by that. Knowing that we are fueled by grace and we are motivated by the joy that is to come in the new heavens and new earth when Christ makes all things new. And so Lord, we ask that you would answer our prayer and seal this word in us today. In Jesus' name. Amen.